live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. What is happening, everyone? This is Homie and the Dude, the father and son TTRPG content creation team. We are really delighted to have Logan, aka RuneSmith, join us today. Logan, we have been speaking behind the scenes for seems like a couple months now, and uh, have really enjoyed that, but have been really looking forward to having an extended conversation with you. So thanks for joining it's a, us. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to talk outside of emails for once. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%, dude, 100%. Um, look, I, I wanted to dive in straight away with something that, that really interests me about the content that you make, because you, know, you, you make, a, it seems like an exceedingly wide variety of content. You know, you, you've got things from advice videos, you know, to, you know, like tips and tricks on how to maximize or, you know, you know, like use certain classes in certain ways and, you know, all this kind of stuff, as well as also then gaming content. And you've just got a massive array. How do you like week to week go, you know what? This week I'm going to try this. What's what's the selection process? How do, how does RuneSmith get to choosing what you record, what you like make on a on, on a week to week basis? Well, a lot of the ideas that I have, you know, I try to keep some level of spontaneity where I'm not searching other people's channels and going, oh, that's their idea. Let's go with like what works. It's fun to just. Um, sort of as I'm playing D&D, which is an amazing gift to get every week, which I don't have. I know some other people are able to consistently do that. But whenever I get to play D&D, it's such a great well of inspiration for like, oh, this works or like this type of game design is really exciting to me. I want to share that with other people. I want them to uh, take the experience that I have and make it their own in a certain way. But uh, for the majority of the videos that I do, I feel like uh, the range of my cons my content can sort of be simmered down to monster highlights mm -hmm. to some degree. I would say that's the vast majority, if not encounters or um, mm -hmm. that old series where I would do fake animal documentaries, but um, just cracking open any of the monster manuals or any of the books that they'd ideally the early ones, because the recent ones don't really have that much content and just trying to pull uh, sort of out all the roots from this monster or this concept that they've presented and created and designed and showing people almost a, a templatized version of it. So it, mm. your question being the, the week to week, I think it's the first two days of just hammering through all the books and then hammering out the script, recording it that same day. And then the editing is the most grueling process of yep. that takes four or five days. Yep. Yeah, that sounds hella familiar. And your your mm -hmm. editing is pretty is pretty uh, slick. It's very slick. Yeah, I mean, it, you can Thank tell you. that you, you yeah you've been, it's 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 kind of symbolic of you know everyone has their own style and everything, and you can you can tell a RuneSmith styled edit, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. I, I guess you could you could say yeah, the same thing with other content creators, but you definitely have I, a. It is kind of funny that I've moved into a more heavily edited, like uh, I think Internet Historian has a higher paced version of what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. I moved away from sort of the almost JonTron style that XP to level three works on a lot, where it's a mix of these edits and these captions like slideshows and then a lot of live action. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I moved away and when I started doing more of my own content, I'm not someone who's comfortable being alone with a camera talking to it like it's a person. So me falling behind not being able to use a camera or video footage in my videos has, I think, led me to develop that style. Yeah, it's a, it's a super sick style, and that's that's super interesting. You know, you seem, for all intents and purposes, very comfortable in yourself and very comfortable in the the, the place that you kind of bring this content from and whatnot. Yeah, um, you, go for it. I was just gonna say you mentioned two sides of it. One was like. Um, being aware of other people's styles like mm -hmm. xp to level mm -hmm. three but also getting in a, getting yourself into a mindset of i'm consuming other people's styles i'm seeing what's successful out there i'm seeing what's actually yeah. not doing so well out there and trying to make sure that you have a filter of like i want to i want to make sure as much as much as i can that i'm not you know like comedians because they're around other people that are telling jokes, thousands of jokes, at some point, mm -hmm. someone will say, yo, that joke sounds very much like that joke. Like, it's hard for you to, it's hard to not let that stuff seep into your own content creation. 
how, yeah. how do you how do you how do you do that how do you like make sure that you're separating even though you're seeing oh shit like Baldur's Gate 3 that shit is is kicking off right now I need yeah. to do something about that or like this it looked like it was going to be hot but I don't see like bugbears yeah <laughs> bugbear you know and yeah. oh, other people have done videos about bugbears you know how do you how do you balance the two of like being yeah, aware of what's going question. on in the community but also you know kind yeah, of being I, true to your own stuff I genuinely think that balance is kind of the perfect word for it. It's a mixture of seeking things out on my own and finding them organically. And then, you know, seeing what my friends are making and appreciating it more than wanting to copy it. Because, you know, if I just see what works and I just do what works, I'll lose myself. I won't have any sort of independent personality to lean on. I'll just become a, a copy. Um, so I, I like... Um, I don't know, maybe it's sort of an, an anxiety that leads me to develop that that need to be much more independent in my style and sort of how the videos function. But I, I don't consume an excessive amount of content like my own. And I think that kind of makes it naturally uh, a bit more unique. Mm. Dude, that's, that's a super interesting point. I, I actually want to circle back to something you said earlier, but mm -hmm. that's a super interesting point because like uh, we make, you know, we make a couple of actual play series and, you know, we, we do a couple of other little things, but I don't really, at this point, I don't consume many actual plays. You know, I, I actually mm -hmm. don't, you know, consume much of that kind of stuff. I, I, I typically stay away from it a little mm -hmm. bit just because again, you know, I, I hope that, you know, whatever I'm creating is unique. Obviously, you know, as, as GMs, we, uh, we draw on all of the, the you know, yeah. content and things that we've consumed throughout the years and things that have been in existence that we, you know, pull upon and take pieces of and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the super interesting point that you just made. I wanted to just touch on, you said earlier that you don't get to play D&D &D weekly or things like that. Are you more of a player or more of a GM? Are you a forever GM or are you a bit more uh, of a player? I, I think I've found my groove more in being a player. Uh, being a, I was a forever GM for a while. I feel like everyone does their time. It's like, you know, you have to work <laughs> in the service industry. You have to go to McDonald's. <laughs> you have to be a GM for a few years. Um, it's, it's super fun to just spend a lot of time by yourself world building and translating that into uh, playing with your friends, you know, it's a completely different thing. You're going from um, being an author to being an improvisational actor, and you yeah. have to meld those two. So it's a lot of fun just to kind of turn your brain off and not do the author part <laughs> for a little while and just be that character, just be that actor. Um, I do a character who's a little kobold, like ringleader in Joe Cat's game. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something of Elinthi, Saviors of Elinthi, and it's it's so much fun just to work with the other players and collaborate as you're building the story and be more supportive to the GM than actually beat the GM. Yeah, you're, oh, you're just saying the same thing, weren't you? Like yeah. you are, you would consider yourself a forever GM. Hundred percent. Enjoying the hell out of being a player on a cast right now. Yeah, do you know what's interesting? I I feel like you know I I am very much a forever GM. I I I'm my my controllingness needs me to be mm. able to do all that and we we talked it about is this fulfilling <laughs> it, it, it is um, deeply satisfying <laughs> it's, it's, it's also i feel like we mentioned this earlier as well in a different podcast that i i find i hit the flow state a lot more as a, as a gm than i do as a mm. player i often find myself as a player stepping out of the moment you know looking at my character sheet and being like okay fuck uh you know like action economy what am i going to use to help my team here what's then yeah. also What's, what can I use and then how can I creatively use that to make it interesting for people who are watching or, or other players at the table or, you know, assist someone So being a, like else. a player is more stressful for you, you would say? In a weird way, it is a That's lot more. interesting. It's a lot more stressful in of that I feel like I, there's a little bit more pressure on me, which is, is super weird. But in the same way, I also recently have been playing, I, I play in a weekly game on a Monday and it has allowed me to enjoy like the the gm we've had two like massive cliffhangers recently where you know we we found out that this council of elders are fucking like just evil as shit and like are mm. just like polluting the whole city that they are in as well as also then you know one of our uh, like gm npcs that was part part of the party that like me personally, I think he's my favorite GM NPC that I've ever seen, even more than all of the ones I've created. Mm. 
and um, I just loved him. And he recently, his warlock patron just like captured him and was like, fix this or, and you don't get him back until it's fixed. And, you know, both of these like cliffhangers that we were given, I got to experience from the other side because as a GM, I know what's coming. I know that I'm going to yeah. like, you know, I know that, you know, as you guys are ticking towards something, I'm prepping and I know what I'm going to kind of tease with. And I know that I'm going to drop this little thing at the, towards the end and, you know, tease this kind of stuff. I, to be on the other side of that and to be like, oh my God, yeah. what the fuck is happening was, has been a really beautiful experience for me. That's been something It's I've really sort of enjoyed. the difference between uh, watching a movie and reading the Wikipedia plot. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more exciting when you don't know what's coming and when you get to enjoy that pacing. Totally, yeah. dude. That's, that's a really good analogy. A really, really good analogy. So you say you don't play super, super often. Uh, how, if, if you could, ideally, you know, how, how many games a week, if life was permitting, you know, relationships, work, you know, whatever was permitting, how often would you, uh, would you get at the table if you, if you feasibly could? I, I think right now in just the, the pace that everything in my life is going, I think one weekly game would be great and maybe one bi-weekly game, mm. but yeah. nothing crazy. I, I couldn't even as a player or like a, a DM to sit down every week and commit to that on top of a bunch of other projects it it can get to be a little overwhelming, even though it's hanging out with friends. I think weekly, weekly is a good rhythm as well, because mm. you feel like <clears throat> you don't you forget things. Yeah, you, exactly. You more mm -hmm. or less remembered where you left off. Yeah. You've, you're and like entrenched into your character. Your character is, yeah. you know, it, you're not separating so much from your, like we have another actual play that we do that has been, um, we do a long session and then we chop those sessions up into episodes. Um, so we'll do like mm. maybe a four or five hour session, but we won't, we we'll only do that once a month or maybe even once every two months. And because of our illness recently, it's mm. going to be now like three months since we've seen oh. them. Like the story has been so on pause for such a long time, but we've, we've been doing this game for about a year that in effect, we all still know our characters and we'll, it'll, it'll still slide yeah. just nicely. But weekly is a really nice rhythm that you just kind of feel like it's, so I would also to... say, mm. I would almost compare it to like uh, back in the day, the Saturday morning cartoons, how you mm. have something to look forward to and you're still invested and it's almost a motivator to kind of get through, get through the week and accomplish mm. what you're doing so you can get back to that. But when you have it bi-weekly, especially if it's the same game, which I've mm. never heard of that, but that mm. would be sort of like living a double life. You're getting stressed about your character, you're getting stressed about what you're doing. So yeah. I think a week is good. Nice. Yeah, yeah it's a, I love I love that Saturday cartoon analogy. Dude, <laughs> that shit is so lost nowadays. Like, if you say that yeah. to, to anyone under the age of like eighteen, they're like, "What, what are you talking about?" Yeah. I, I, I Comedy not... Central. What is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cartoon Network. Are you kidding me? <laughs> cartoon like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, I'll never forget my dad's old story where he would have like lemonade stands out on Saturday and he would run in just to watch Popeye just when it was on and then run back out. <laughs> Dude, I love Popeye. Uh, I love Popeye. Yeah, well. Popeye's great. Dying, yeah. I think the other, the other thing that you, you mentioned that, that's interesting as well is um, as a player being on the recipient end of, you know, the, the puppeteer's strings. Mm -hmm. And if it's done really well, like I know we've been in a game once where there was um, a suspenseful oh, moment yeah, that I was just like, the suspense was completely, it blindsided us, but it blindsided us through a small drip feed, right? So we, we were in this really like beautiful, lovely little village that we had encountered. We just come out been of combat. like foreshadowed the whole time. Oh, so we just come out of combat. We were super damaged. We were like, oh. Thank God, a village where we can rest and heal and like and get look, back there's to There's a everything. bonfire and there's people eating and there's merriment and yeah. joyfulness. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and depends on your GM what what that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It just got creepier and creepier, and then at some yeah. point, like you know, we're all looking at each other and we're like, nah, there's something real, real wrong. <laughs> but the way he did it was brilliant. Like that that slow build on the recipient as a player on the recipient end was beautiful. Like for us to to go through that emotional arc of like, ah, oh, and then it's like, oh no, oh no, 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 this is, this is really not good. And then for it to kick off into full on like chaos was just beautifully done. So when a GM can, can create, it doesn't necessarily have to be just suspense, but can create like a moment for you is, is a beautiful thing. It's like a, you know, the director in a movie, but in real time mm -hmm. is, is a pretty special talent to be able to do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, I fully agree with you. I think I think it's it's one of those skills that is, you know, it's one of those skills that at times can be lost. I feel like if if um if you're too overt as a GM, it can become bland. If you're too covert, it can become bland. Yeah. I think you need to hit that balance yeah. really nicely. I found being uh, too covert is is a big problem. That's always like my biggest failing as a GM was the end of uh, the first long running live game that I did with um, a TPK because the characters were completely blind by <laughs> just blind to everything I was doing and orchestrating. And I was like, please investigate. And they didn't. They didn't, and they ran into a big blatant trap where it was borderline like rocks fall on you if you run in here kind of thing. Yeah, and and the uh, thing is, like, I, we've been in situations like that where like you can, as the GM, be like, "Damn it, it was so obvious!" Like all they needed to do was just be a little yeah. bit more observant. But in retrospect, like, it's just players. You know, you're not you're it, not working with written characters that like you can. <laughs> you're going to totally, be motivated totally. the entire time. You need a bit of hand holding to get through those. Yeah, exactly and i think there's an element of like gm responsibility like if mm, you if yeah you have to you have to really thread the needle of it has to be challenging enough for them to, you know, to for it to be difficult to get through a certain situation whether it's a puzzle or a challenge or a combat mm -hmm. or something like that but not so challenging that they're missing the thing that you prepared for so well yeah. <laughs> like you this is the real thing that they're going to get like such impact from. They're going to enjoy the hell out of this, or this is going to be wild when it happens. They didn't fucking do it. They went right. Yeah. I mean, they were supposed to go left. What? Well, how did you can't that happen? Keep it hidden. That's such a big <laughs> thing. Um, and there's a short analogy. I forget if I heard it or came up with it a while ago, but just the idea of if you have a jungle temple and like next to a city and you want the players to go there, like that's the whole thing that you want them to do. And for some fucking reason, they go fishing. <laughs> that's a sunken temple you convert it you yes, keep it in exactly. front of them no matter where they're going you just change right. the details you gotta keep the ball rolling you used to do it as well you'd be like, <laughs> i used to go do you want to go left or right guys and they'd be like right i'd be like sick the illusion of choice, yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's a that's it and you know what's an interesting one because i it's something that I've always, I tend to try to avoid as a dungeon master, typically. And across the board, you know, whether I'm dungeon mastering for D&D or I'm GMing for like Orbital Blues or, you know, another system that we've played and enjoyed, I tend to avoid murder mystery or like mystery style stuff, typically. I tend to... It's very hard to do it, right? in like it a is. live play way. Because yeah. you never see murder mystery done in like improv groups. No. They don't know where to go. It's really hard. Exactly. And you're 100% right. And I think as a GM, what you learn, and, um, and recently I had um, one, of our, one of our employees, Emily, wanted to, she, she was like, I've got this idea for this series. I want to test it out with you, Bodhi. Let's, let's make a pilot. I want to make it. And, uh, and she ran it. And it was a like a murder mystery in a, in this house, and we're trying I've to. Work never, out. I've never even seen that content. Have me, you? Me, me, me neither. Um, <laughs> and uh, and she wanted it to like go this certain way, and when the conclusion came, the the ideas, the concepts that I had in my head, I was like, I was so far away from what is actually happening here that like, and what it comes down to is something that I've learned, and now I feel like I'm a lot better at is when you're giving people clues. You need to have, like, if you're in a room and you're like, cool, this is the room where they're going to find the clues. Have a mm. hundred clues in that room, mm. not yes. two. You need to have, yes. like, almost everything in that room needs to be something that they can discover that can lead them to the thing, you know? And uh, it needs to be like, and it also, in a weird way, pieces of the puzzle. Like, I, I remember we did one a very long time ago where I had you guys searching in the Fishbowl Tavern, and I gave you guys three pieces of information. I gave them a, a, a note that was written in a language that they couldn't understand, mm. a chemical vial from a certain place that they needed to go to, and a ring that belonged to someone who was also there, basically. And yeah. between the three, I remember them collecting all the three or four pieces of, of this evidence, and then suddenly, I think it was my mother who was like, oh. Might have been Nikki. Yeah, it was like, oh shit, like <laughs> I, I, I suddenly get it. Like this piece connects to this. Yeah. yeah. And you need to have all that stuff there because if you have just, you know, one or two things, like that's you said, true, it can just be missed. I would actually, I would build on that ironically pertaining to a fishbowl. You can't forget the power of a red herring. 
Yes. Uh, all the best murder mysteries. And I think you sort of enlightened me to this, this thought process, but the importance of having a bunch of misdirection in a mystery keeps the, the players engaged without telling them what happened. You're telling them something happened, but as long as you keep feeding them all these clues, like um, the game clue, you have everyone's a suspect, everyone had a murder weapon, and yeah. uh, the murder on the Orient Express, and even the pseudo parody that I did in Twisted Taverns, uh, the rail away. There's a murder mystery and like there's five suspects and the idea is all of them would have killed them. E mm. Knives Out even does this. It's like yeah. everyone was planning on it. It's the question of who the fuck got to it first. And that's yeah. <laughs> what makes the mystery so engaging is you're like, okay, we know all the why and all the how, but we need to know yeah. the when and the who. And yeah. that's more fun to build around than like just barely planting these seeds and giving your characters like they're walking through saplings. That's not fun. Yeah. Dude, that's, that, it's such a good point. Like, and, and do, do you know what? Ah, oh, man, poor, poor Daniel Craig in fucking knives. That accent. That poor, that poor that guy. Louisiana accent. That, that poor guy. Um, I just hated but, the, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too, that, a pun cannot be your twist. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I fully agree with you though. The, the fact that you need to have multiple sources of possibly so. something happening for a murder mystery to work is so important because mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like if you're just investigating one track, like there's never, and no detective in all of history of real life, forget fucking fiction. No mm -hmm. detective in history has gone, ah, I know who I'm going to question and they're going to lead me to the next thing. And that's going to just snowball from there. They're like, okay, I'm going to go talk to the mother, the daughter. The boyfriend. I'm then going to go look at security cameras. I'm then mm -hmm. going to go do fingerprints. I'm then going to. And look then I'm going to stare at my flip book for six hours, looking at everything <laughs> I just learned. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and like that's so true, man. Fuck, man, that's so true. And and you know what? I it, it fills me with confidence to run more. Of I was just thinking. I was saying mm -hmm. the same thing. Like there's there's some there's some food for thought in in a, in doing another murder mystery with multiple mm. suspects. Yeah, I would also it. say um, that. Eldritch Horror plays into this really well in the yes. sense that the type of narratives they usually do, I think uh, Innsmouth is a good example. There is a mystery and it seems really complex and elusive, but the fact of the matter is the mystery you're investigating is so small compared to what you're actually finding out. So like, yeah. oh, I, um, you know, Colonel Mustard did it with the candlestick in the bedroom but he did it because he's sating this eldritch god in the basement you didn't know about and it's this fun sort of tumble down into something yeah. like that i love it dude love that's it. that's such a good point about the the eldritch stuff especially just as well because it's it's such a good motivator like i often mm -hmm. find like one of the hardest things to do because often they say you know when you're writing a murder mystery start with the end put your clues yes. backwards and and work i say that with almost every narrative start at the end mm. dude right Right. Mm. Shit, dude. I feel like I feel like that's a so right. Here, here I'm just going on a little <laughs> tangent right here because I feel like Go it's a it. real thing in the D and D community. I know that everyone wants fucking sandbox. I know. I I fully mm. understand that everybody is like sandbox. I want my my ideas to matter. Yeah. But if you really do sandbox, if if we're being a hundred percent honest, if you do sandbox, nothing happens because. You're just kind of doing very small things, uh, at, at, like and that can be diverse things as well. I was gonna say, if you don't know the yeah. wider picture, then then how do you know what the the small things then don't matter? Almost mm. to me, it's like it, you could use just a literal translation. Like if you're playing in a sandbox, you can't build a castle because it'll fall yeah. apart. Like exactly. you're playing with sand. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of having that that final point, that culmination of everything you're about to come up with. That's a lot of fun to start there and work backwards. hundred percent. Like, could you imagine if it was like, you know, Lord of the Rings and it's like, there's no like Frodo putting the ring in, in, in Mount Doom. Like, could you imagine mm -hmm. if, if the whole thing is just him being like, I don't know where we're going, Sam, but we're, we're taking the ring somewhere. We're on an adventure. Yeah. yeah exactly. And you're like, you're we're like, going to okay. go meet a little creature. Yeah, it's exactly. You just feel okay, like this doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> So I, I, I fully agree with you there, dude. I fully, fully agree with you there. You know what? You, you mentioned earlier about the monsters, and we just talked about Eldritch stuff. I, I, I've been super curious to ask you, you know, 
combat and things like that in D&D can get very stagnant. A lot of times people yeah. are like, oh, I'll just choose a creature that has resistances to what my players are good at. And oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll just do this. What's something for you, dude, that enhances a creature to make it not just the stat block or the lore in the book, but something mm. that like makes it tangible, makes it scary, makes it like yeah. more of a problem for your players to try and problem solve that moment. What's something that you use on your end for that? Uh, I, I, that's a really good question. I had a train of thought and then I lost it as you continued the question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I would say, um, in terms of combat, giving creatures reactions, uh, mm. like resistances and then vulnerabilities is always fun. It always spices it and mixes it up to like, oh, the players can problem solve actively. But um, I think when you break it down, you want that creature to have a reason to be there other than just fight. And generally, like it happens almost every combat in D&D. You walk in there, you roll initiative, you walk out with bloody hands. Like mm. the creatures, even animals and stuff, they're going to run away if, if you start beating the shit out of them. Like mm. if you're beating up a bear and it's down to like 16 hit points, it's going to get the hell out of there. It, it lost. Like it doesn't mm. need to die. Um, that or uh, if you want a more impactful monster, I think my suggestion would be, and the thing that I play with a lot is just very simply the creature's motivation and how long it's been planning this. Like why it's there, why it's present, and uh, if it has other stuff in the background that makes it more complicated than just fighting it. Uh, dude, I freaking love that. I, I absolutely love that that thought process. And like, I feel like in D&D, &D, we kind of run through this process of, you know, we talk about the, the three pillars, you know, exploration, combat, and role play, you know, a yeah. lot. Um, and it feels like, you know, I... I, uh, I have a GM who I, who I play with, who is, in, in all cases, a very good dungeon master. His descriptions are great. Um, mm -hmm. His ability to, you know, build suspense, to, to grow story, to lace plot points together, to, you know, include backstory, you know, all the things that you would want from a GM. But one thing that I always find myself lacking from his style is that it's almost predictable that I know if we've had a heavy role play session one week, next week we're gonna have combat. Mm. Like I almost, yeah. I almost can guess that next week is gonna be fucking combat without. You want even it to be like, satisfying. You, know. you want to use all angles of the game. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I think to your point, and 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 also yours, Logan, is like as players, we almost are like pre-programmed to go into a combat situation. Yeah rolling initiative and getting ready to get into get our hands bloody right as opposed to like exploring all the options like how it's rare it is rare that a combat is diffused in a way that is a great point. and you know that's yeah. like entertaining that I think, you know it's fulfilling all of those things it's it's i don't know why that happens i feel like unless you've got a druid you're killing it think, unless yeah. you've got a druid that's going to talk to the creature through mm -hmm. some sort yeah. of yeah uh, baldur's gate's ability. a great example of that you get to talk to so many more people i really think that initiative being rolled as sort of this unfortunate pavlovian bell yeah everyone's like oh i'm gonna use the abilities that half of the player's handbook has given me to mm. blow this thing up like that sounds like fun yeah. um as a pretty fun example of that um if you're familiar with the bander hobs in D, &D uh, it I'm is it's just a big frog guy. And the whole thing that you do is you conjure them up from like mud and sticks with witch magic. And nice. all they have, they have this natural inclination to go seek something out and eat it and either bring it back to you or kill it. They're like weird CR6 assassins. So I had one um, in a game that I'm running where I just make up like constant random little monster creatures, sort of like in Avatar, how they have uh, platypus bears and stuff yeah um i had i gave my characters a moss sheep who was just a sheep that can like grow moss and mushrooms as a food source that walks around it looks like a little boulder when it sits down so oh, they nice. picked one up and they took it to their camp and a few days later this banderhob shows up and it can't talk because it doesn't mm -hmm. know how and it's like give me that and it's like that's mine and it tries to communicate in like loose writing that it that sheep is its property so they finally hand it over. It's this really tense situation and immediately it just gobbles it. And you're like, what? 
so they started attacking and I finally got to this safe point where it was like, please don't kill me, let me explain. And it went on to communicate that it was summoned by a witch or a hag specifically to um, like fight a couple of bandits and um, everybody in the process died but the Banderhob. So the Banderhob couldn't complete its contract and was doomed to like exist forever because it, you know, it, it didn't do the thing it was made for. So it wanders out and it finds this really abusive shepherd uh, with a bunch of moss sheep. It eats the shepherd and it hangs out with the moss sheep and it uses the witch's like staff and hat to keep them all invisible and keep them safe. So the party shows up, accidentally steals one, and now this huge creature's there like fighting and eating the things and they didn't understand it until the whole situation was over. But it was a lot of fun for them to realize that and then play with it in a different way where now they recruited mm. the guy. He just walks around their island and checks in every four days like, instead of having him dead, which he was very close to being. One, yeah. one player was like, let's not do this. Let's hear him yeah. out. Do, do, do you know what? I feel like that's that's a real thing in D. But right at the end of the day, let's let's talk about D and D as 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 a as a TTRPG system. It's designed mm -hmm. as a strategic combat like yeah. role playing game. You know that's it's based that's, on a '60s or '70s game called Chainmail. That was just yeah. that. It was just exactly. like almost chess. Mm. Yeah, and so I think you know it is a thing of like players just assume, cool, we've got to fight and kill this thing. But to is it me, just players or is it players and? When, when the word initiative is spoken by the DM, mm. what percentage of the DM's mindset is saying, is saying also, they can get out of this without, without there being a point of damage? That is a, a good point. It is a good point. I think it's a, it's a, do you know, I feel like, I feel like I often give people the, or at least in my head, I'm like, if you want to talk to this thing, feel free to talk mm. to the thing, but also mm. like, you don't have to, if you don't want mm. to, but yeah. like, I think the, the thing that you mentioned in that little story is the moral compass. And the moral compass is something that I love to play with. And I think it's such a powerful tool of being like, you know, and, and it's, it's a common one that, that you see in like movies and television where there's a young child or, or someone stealing from someone, right? They're, they're breaking yeah. in and they're stealing stuff. They're, they're constantly stealing things and it's a problem. It's destroying the shop and, you know, they're not able to keep the doors open. And when you initially meet the, the store owner, you're like, man, these fucking thieves. You're like, mm -hmm. sons of bitches. And then you actually meet the thieves and you see that actually the thieves are just trying to feed their family and are just trying to survive. They're trying to like mm. keep, you know, they're trying to like, like pretty much survive or whatever yeah. it is. And then you get this beautiful moment of players being like, ah, oh, shit. Like, mm. do, do we enact justice because the societal laws of, of this mm -hmm. world dictate us to do so in on this quest that we're in or whatever. Yeah, it's also or, a fun dilemma just in that context. Everyone's losing. Yeah. Who do we help? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Continue do, your thought. Do, greater goods. No, dude, yeah. you're exactly yeah. right. The greater goods and like the, the everyone's losing is something that I feel like that's such a it's such a like we we recently had so in our actual play series, our big actual play series called the Skyrealm we had this big thing that was going on, which is a, a young half-elf gentleman was framed for murder so that the imperial government could enact a curfew on the downtown poor people, basically, the, the, the mm. poverty-stricken area of the city, to enact a curfew to put them under harsher conditions and be able to oppress them even further, basically. That sounds familiar. I, right. <laughs> um, our, our players then were like, okay, we are going to break that guy out. And not only that, but because he was being held at a, ro at a water reservoir, and in our world, water is a very finite resource. It's something that's super that's valuable. That's fun to play with. I like that. Yeah, oh, it's, it's super great, dude. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. It, <laughs> shout out to Dune. Um, and, <laughs> um, and they basically, they break into this water reservoir, and the plan that they come up with is, uh, and they're working with a, a rebel group of vigilantes who are called the Water Runners. They steal water from the Imperials and give it to the, the poor people, mm. basically. That's like who they're working with to do this heist. Yeah. Uh, heist the under-government. Mm. Exactly. And so they, um, they go in, two teams. One team basically just unleashes the water and like basically opens the valve and just starts the water flowing, basically. 
the other team are breaking in and getting the guy out of there, basically. Hmm. At the end of all of this, they come back together, and what they realize they've actually done is because as part of this, one of their allies, they got someone else to set up a distraction by starting like a small riot in downtown. They also have alliances with some of the mafia in the city as well that were helping them with this heist as well. And what our players cause, and it's one of my favorite things in the whole in our whole series that we've done, is they all come back, they're like, yes! We got Barnaby, we saved him, and we released the water. We stole a bunch of water, and we released the rest of it. We're going to be able to help the people. <laughs> and what followed that was the city experienced its third big riot, which was met by the oppressive power being like, okay, now you're even more fucked. How dare mm -hmm. you try and do this? It caused chaos across the city. Buildings were destroyed. Like, people were burnt out, deaths were happening. The girl who set the, uh, started the riot as the distraction ended up getting killed. And it was like this big, like, shit show that our players basically caused by trying to yeah. do something nice. That was great. Now, well, since then, they've left. And it's really nice to have players that appreciate that kind of story writing. Oh, yeah. These, these guys were oh, great. Oh, dude, it, it broke, like, it completely, it was such it a... It fucked poor, our team up so bad. Up, yeah. we, you know, we were... We all experienced it quite differently, and it impacted our our character arcs. Really, really changed just based mm. on the fact that how you received the fact that we were successful in a very, very like failure small based, scale way. Yeah, yeah, small scale way that just impacted everything else in a big time negative way. Was it was a super, super powerful moment for for our group. I like I that. Think. A hundred percent. And it just, it shook you guys. You know, you, the Mafia Don was killed because of it, because you didn't tell him that you knew oh. that the Imperials were coming for him. The girl that you guys had aligned with, who, you know, had some allegiances with the Imperial people, she was killed. And they left. They left the city because they, they'd done what they'd done. <laughs> the, the, the thing was up. And they, and they left. And since then, they have no idea what's going on in the city. I know very well that might things, be a question I might ask the next session. <laughs> I, I know very well that things are very bad in that city right mm. now. That mm -hmm. the people are it, like because of the repercussions of their actions, it's been catastrophic for the mm. NPCs that mm. live in that city and that mm. have are now dealing with a very pissed off, oppressive government mm. that uh, that that exists there now. And, and since the water's quadrant, gone, it's their resource that's missing, not the rich people's. Mm. Exactly, dude. Can exactly. I make exact? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> Can <laughs> I make exactly. a connection to what we like to a couple things we talked about with combat and with this type of situation? It feels like a big value as a player would just to be a little bit more inquisitive. Like in a combat situation, yeah. I, I like my my takeaway from our like five minutes ago was like next time I'm in combat before I you know get into any actions or anything, I'm gonna have a little dialogue just to just to get a little feel for what's going on. Yeah. That's gonna be my that's gonna be my like my typical pattern when I go into combat is just to kind of see how how much danger are we in? Is this gonna for sure 100% is the DM looking to like clean us out or do we have a way to maneuver? And also in your situation, just to get a little bit more facts about like, how is this gonna impact the wider situation? I think mm -hmm. more inquisitiveness, because it feels like as a player, sometimes you get, you most like get robotized I don't know if that's a word, into the plot, right? You just, you, you're marching lockstep into where you feel like the DM wants you to go. And, yeah. and sometimes if to break out of that, I think can be a lot more like, I don't know, rewarding re for everyone. Yeah, I, I would say to build on that process, uh, that thought process, uh, almost a good sort of solution in a way of thinking uh, to the problem that you presented where it's just those three brackets of exploration, communication, combat, to have two of any of them happening at the same time makes it that mm. much more exciting where you have to explore or engage in combat and deal with the terrain or you have to talk to someone while you're fighting them. That's that's a really fun thing to sort of uh, consciously plan for as a DM, I think. Is that, is that like a rule? As, or are we just making stuff up right now that is important? Uh, those three, I, I think, are. But I mean, like uh, the coupling, coupling two of those at any. Given We're making time. that up, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, saying cool. building on the it. thought process that you had. That, that that's is, a good that thing to consciously think of while you're writing. Like, oh, let's do this and this, which yeah, you I'm, know, if you're ever making anything new, just combine two old things. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> that's what birth that. is, literally. <laughs> <laughs>
do, do you know what? I, I, I think that's really, you know, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think it, it's underdone in, in a lot of ways. To me, the, the other thing that I think, you know, I, I personally feel is, is a big issue in amongst the TTRPG space is consequences. Now, mm-hmm. often a GM, you know, will be like, oh, you pissed off your Warlock patron, no more magic for you, you know, kind of thing. But really, at times it feels like there's not wider consequences. The world isn't evolving and moving with the players sometimes. It's something that I've experienced with a couple of GMs and I've seen in a couple of actual plays where I'm like, huh, did killing that thing, like, do, like, who does that, what's what's that thing circle? Yeah, what, like, you want, what, mm-hmm. you know, you want exactly, the whole world ahead, to be alive and... Um, I think there's a book called The Anatomy of Story that describes every character that you have. You know, they're not islands. It's a web of Mm. characters. So when you pull it a thread or you burn one or you break one, that affects the whole structure of the story in the world if it's living. So I really like that point. Yeah, I love that web analogy. I've never heard that before, Mm. but that's that's dead Mm. on. I think it's super, super important. And it relates back to the combat thing. You know, when you have a creature that you're trying to make interesting or things like that, the consequences of even just entering combat, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. for your players and their resources themselves, whether it yeah. be for, you know, the the world and the existence of the timeline, um, or even just, you know, that creature that they're fighting in, it's like circle of close things. Those yeah. consequences. You want to tether it every, uh, you know, bullet point in the story to another one or to a location like you're saying you want to have them tethered so that when you destroy something you cut those ties and there are consequences you know things are going to loosen some stuff might fly away for characters and they might be mad at you like it's, it's fun to think of just the consequences to any tiny action of course you want to reward your players too you can't just have everything be bad yeah oh totally like i think i think do you know what's interesting as well like i love that there, so a good example of recently, um, we had a session where I, uh, we're, we're a bunch of detectives in this world, and I basically kicked this rock accidentally because out of mm-hmm. frustration, and it uncovered something that we ended up needing to find out. And I was like, oh, holy shit. So massive reward for accidental <laughs> decision that, that I made. Yeah. Followed then by, you know, literally a couple sessions later, we thought that we had done something good by shutting down this portal that was going to cause chaos. Turns out one of our NPCs that's with us, he is then taken away from us because we, we fucked up his like side backstory mm. of life and, and his warlock patron is then super pissed at us. Yeah. And I, I came away from the first session being like, hell yeah woo like that was sick and then i came away from the next session like what the fuck why (laughs) like how did we fuck this so bad how have we lost this character now he was my favorite gm npc like son of a bitch and i think both of those feelings as a player and i I had to say to the gm because he was like oh i hope you're he said to me afterwards he was like i hope you're not too frustrated i know you were Mm. really frustrated that you lost callum at the end and i was like no dude that emotion that I'm feeling is so positive. Like I'm so happy yeah. he made me frustrated. That just means to I be care. Engaged. Yeah. yeah. That's always a good thing for GMs to do. Just at the end of the game, approach someone who you might've pissed off. <laughs> just Dude. see like how'd the game go. See if people yeah. appreciate stuff like that. And then you can build your pacing. It's good. Dude, you're, you're so right, dude. The, like, I think something that's again, undervalued in the GM space. And I think it's often because newer GMs kind of get into, like like you said, everyone has to do their time at McDonald's. And during that time Mm -hmm. at McDonald's, everyone's just like, I'm going to tick the GM boxes and do what I must do. Where I think a lot of the beautiful stuff that GMs can really do happens outside of the game sometimes. Talking to your players about like, oh, so far you're at this point in your character's arc. Where do you kind of see them going from here? Where Mm. are you hoping that they kind of, you know, end up, are you wanting to kind of turn and start betraying the party? Are you wanting to, you know, have this Mm -hmm. other motive that's going on? Do you want to actually just be a full assist player? And you're, you're here to just do anything and everything you can to make sure this party success. Like asking those questions and developing that relationship actually with the players Mm -hmm. and their characters outside of the game often feels to me just as valuable as what happens in the game sometimes. And 
I, I think I would have to say that the same is true in the opposite direction. As a GM, it's I'm so grateful when a player comes to me. Um, mm. Like in the game that I'm doing, just the home game, someone was like, uh, I want to explore a different character for a little while. I want the one that I'm playing to go off and like seek something. And we talked it out and eventually she was just like, um, my character is a druid and like a ranger. So if you could find a way to have nature overwhelm them so that they go and seek like magic instead, like mm. they need evidence that nature uh, isn't the only thing at their side and they're not the one winning it. So I brought in this storm giant who's conquered like a whole town and they're just sitting there like, I think I might be God and nothing's disproving that. So mm. they show up and this thing can literally like flick and the wind behind it will just flow and bellow. And it's th this overwhelmingly intimidating creature, like it one shot people at random and you're like, well, um, let's leave. Mm. And it was just a lot of fun to build this crazy impactful scene just because a player had a request and they wanted me to do something with it. Man, I, I fucking that. love that, dude. I love that so, so much. And, and I think a lot of it also has to do with like, Oh, Almost like the commitment of the DM, like, I guess there's, you know, there's different levels of quality of DM and, and storytell, you know, there's some storytellers that are brilliant at weaving together, you know, several aspects of stories or undercurrents yeah. of stories or side characters and, and having all that beautifully mm -hmm. interact and come and go and flow and all that. I, I, I really appreciate it. But also, I wouldn't want to belittle people who like simpler stories like a kick down the door is just as much fun. Yeah, it's true. And like, I think a, a lot of it comes from, I, I think one of the things that's been consistent in this conversation is communication or yeah. just questions. Just, just you know, the the, 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 the- the Proof of engagement. Yeah, engagement of just like, whether it's above table, in the game, you know, all different aspects that I think it, it you know, whatever, in relationships mm -hmm. outside of, in, in real life, whatever, well, yeah, communication yeah. is the way, you know, is, is kind of the one. <laughs> but um, yeah, really, really interesting. I think the other thing that came to mind as, as we've been talking, I think you, you mentioned it lightly earlier on was um, the concept of, of improvisation mm. and um, how, how important is improvisation to you as far as in terms of like, with a capital I, like the the precepts or the fundamentals of improvisation when you're a player, do you are you looking at at some like how serious are you about that world as opposed to just playing D and D in an organic way and and trying to go with the flow and all of that versus being a an improvisational in the term in the in the definition of improvisation. Um, uh, that's a good question. I th I think that almost pertains more to like how a person conducts themselves as opposed to just being a player because either you know you're prospecting or you're improvising so uh the question almost sounds to me like am i someone who likes to plan more or do i like to play it by ear hmm. and i think i've learned just planning only gets you so far and a lot of the time it'll get you just as far as playing it by ear and taking notes as you go um so it's it's a lot of fun and i would say i found a really comfortable groove in playing my character where oh i have a spontaneous inkling that my character's gonna doubt themselves right now and that'll be a little arc for like uh a couple of sessions and then we just go and do that and that's fun or to listen to the active moments it's really fun to play spontaneous characters who react so powerfully to these villains because they're not predisposed to think about how they act so if there's a big bad guy that I don't like and he's standing there with a huge like spiked mace like literally weighing down the floor, I'm going to tell him to fuck off because <laughs> I don't like him. And it's nice to know that the consequences are just as spontaneous as the actions that I'm taking as a character. And the only downside I would say is that puts the DM on their toes a little bit too much if they're not prepared for a character yeah. who's entirely improvised. You know what I've done in the past? I have, tell me if you guys have done this or not. Like, as above table, if I'm feeling, like, say during a round of combat, if I'm feeling insecure about what my options are, you know, am I going to use this spell? Am I going to use this? You know, oh, whatever. yeah, I know what you're going to say. I'll I've, actually I've convey that to my character. Yeah. My character, yeah. like, having that insecurity or that, hmm. that doubt or that, um, you know, confusion about stuff. And that, I don't know, it seems to me to help 
it, it aligns, it gets me closer, yeah. it gets Tom closer to whatever the character Tom's playing. Mm -hmm. That realism of being in, in that, whatever you want to call it, the flow state or that, that <laughs> character state as much as you can. Whereas you are like literally, whether you want to call it above table or below or on the table, it's all kind of the same. That's yeah, you want to sort of emotionally resonate with your character in the moment. And if you're yeah. not feeling how the character feels, that disconnect can, you know, rear its head every once in a while and yeah, yeah. make I, you not fully, know where to go. I fully agree with that. I think, you know, it's it, and, and part of that in a weird way, I think is, you know, D&D &D in a weird way is like uh, it, I've heard people talk about it. it's like a superhero game. You know, these are incredible people doing incredible feats of incredible things, yeah. <laughs> but often it feels like some of the best characters I've ever seen have been the ones with the most flaws, the ones that mm -hmm. are exceedingly flawed and, you know, have what I would call grounded struggles. And, you know, like uh, Tom, Tom plays a character uh, who is a, um, who's a turtle. Um, he's super cute. He's, he's literally like the, the, the like, ah, of our group. Like everyone just <laughs> loves Geo and is just super like enamored by him. Um, and Geo is like, he's royalty, like uh, in, in all other like senses of the thing, you'd be like, wow, this character is going to be like a super badass, like turtle cleric knight kind of thing. Mm. And Tom just plays him as a bit of a blubbering mess. Mm. And he's so perfect because there's so many times where Tom has been like, I'm going to try and do the right thing knowing full well that he's definitely not doing the right <laughs> thing. And I think that is just so powerful as an improv yeah. as an improvisational tool to be able to play on the flaws of your character. You know, I played one once that was like um, I was a colossus, uh, a colossus slayer, uh, some like homebrew colossus slayer or titan killer ranger, basically. But I was mm -hmm. afraid of any creature that was a size bigger than me. <laughs> so my family were like this family of like Titan killers. And I was just like, I, I just don't, I just don't do big things. Like they scared the absolute fuck That's out of me. And that allowed me to have yeah. moments where we were in combat and I'd be like, you guys deal with this. I'm out of here later. And I would mm. just fucking run and just be like, I'm going to get as far away from this moment as feasibly possible because it's truly like this character would just not be game for mm. dealing with this problem that's in front of that's me. That's great. I think that's and, kind of an echo of uh, the lesson that Stan Lee learned when uh, working early in comics, you know, the father of superheroes. He stepped away from his job at... Um, I forget before Marvel what he did, but he uh, immediately started working on the Fantastic Four. And I think pretty soon after that was Spider-Man. And his whole idea for these characters is that he wants them to be more people than heroes. He wanted the mm. hero to be the sideline part. And I think exactly what you're saying is, is a great um, sort of point. It also adds like, to me, it adds ability for arc. If you rock up and you're like, what's up i'm the grizzled veteran that's a badass i've endured everything and i'm not afraid of anything it's like okay cool where do you go from here buddy like what's yeah. what's your what's what's your arc here it's because you're failing after that <laughs> you, you know, I, yeah, I made a I guy who like i, agree I think had it had his arms ripped off and he went all the way back to level one <laughs> it's like i love that. how how far the mighty fall could i hit the restroom for just a quick minute yeah yeah no worries Go for it. Ask about the leg thing. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> so about the leg kick thing. My so curiosity was when dude, when dude got his like arms chopped off. Did you then start making him more and more proficient with like wild leg kicks and like knee stomps and like um, flying switch kicks and all this stuff? That was the idea for a minute. Um, <laughs> and then was it bionics? <laughs> no, actually, uh, he became a pretty high level monk through his story and at some early point on he was able to resonate with a parallel version of himself so he oh, could nice. focus his key to attune to that person and literally borrow so he had like psionic arms Ooh, that he would use that's, that's cool that's fucking awesome. so he'd walk around as like this scary looking monk guy just in a big cloaked robe and then these golden or like glowing blue arms would appear outside and just chop love somebody it. in the back of the head nice. i love that love that so so much uh, and you know what, what's interesting is, um, you know, I, I just said to Tom, when you're at the top, the only place to go is down. When you're at the bottom, mm -hmm. the only place to go is up. And so yeah. it makes sense, you know, if you do have a character that's like, I am the grizzled vet, then you need to humble them. 
that, that there there needs to yes. be some sort of humbling there that that needs to be done. Have you um are you familiar with um the Fantasy High series done by D Dimension Twenty? I'm familiar with Dimension Twenty, but as you said before, I don't um, watch too many live plays if that's what it is. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it is an actual play, and they have a character um, called uh, Fabian Seacaster, uh, played by Lou Wilson. Phenomenally done. It's my, it's possibly one of my favorite character arcs in all of history. Um, he he very much is a super confident like jock, uh, son of like a uh, badass pirate who mm. you know has sailed the seas, and he's like he's just meant to be this this like badass character. He gets really severely humbled, and like you did goes back to goes back to level zero actually mm -hmm. they 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 oh. take away all class from him entirely and have him just being like nothing that tasty civilian stat block yeah ex <laughs> exactly points i think exactly so they just raked him back to nothing and he ended up building himself back up in the same class but then also multi-classing as uh, as a bard as well spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched as a bard <laughs> Um, and he just has this beautiful arc of him becoming more of himself, realizing that, you know, he's not this cocky jock that actually he loves dance and <laughs> that he really loves dance and he really loves using this dance to like, you know, be his thing and never like, I've never seen it before like that in D and D, but I was just blown away because he's this fighter who's like rapier wielding. He cut out his own eye, you know, he's this hmm. super badass. And then he comes back and he's like. I like to dance with the sheet and flourish it around me, and it oh, makes me feel a lot more elegant. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, great. and I just loved it. I thought it was a really, you know, beautiful arc that, like you said, you started at the top and mm -hmm. humbled himself down to the bottom, and then worked his way back up to again be someone who who was back at the top. You know, yeah. someone who was. I, I like characters who, um, you know, you get to the top of a mountain, you fall off, you seek out a different peak. A lot of these characters will find a groove in something else that uh, is, is a new high point for them. Because that's what you want for characters, is as they're developing, you always want them to get back to their own, sort of accomplish their dreams in the One Piece yeah. sense. Just uh, yeah. get back to whatever top they think is out there waiting for them. Yeah, I love that, dude. I love that One Piece analogy. Um, that's, that's a super solid point. I'm gonna. We, we've got a few more minutes. I wanted to just circle back to um, to your work um, with RuneSmith and what what right now is like the most exciting thing for you as you look forward over the next you know several months or what have you. What are you What are you excited about creating? What direction are you going in that you feel like um, is is needing needing to be served right now? By the way, we loved all the content you've made so far. What oh. else amazing stuff? <laughs> yeah. what, what other yeah. sick so what's stuff new are you on the menu? Did we need? Yeah, um, I guess I guess we needed that qualifier. Sorry about that. The way I <laughs> no, that's position. okay. <laughs> that's actually a, a really well timed question because um, you know this year I took last year off from my channel, so there was a big gap. The algorithm's not a fan of me, and I can't really fall back on old series. So I've been kind of bumbling through a bunch of new topics to see what functions. And I think I'm finally finding a groove in just um, highlighting monsters or concepts or encounters in a new way. And that's fun to explore. Like the last video, just the goblin who can't die. That was the whole mm. the whole idea. And it's just a highlight of Nilbogs. Um, so it's going to be fun to do that. But like I said, as I learned from my characters that I play, it's better to just be spontaneous and not mm. plan too far ahead for these things. Because if they fail, they fail. Mm, yeah. And, um, and dude, putting all your chips in one basket is one thing as well. You know, I love, yeah. I love the fact that you're like, you know, I'm gonna test this out, I'm gonna test that out, and I'm gonna, mm -hmm. you know, be be spontaneous in that space. That's a great way to, uh, that's a great mentality to have with with you know YouTube yeah. creation and content creation as a whole. It's nice to be passionate, but sort of cautiously uh, detached from the mm -hmm. projects you're working on. Where it's like, I love this, but if it fails, it's no skin off my neck because I'm not anchoring myself to it. But uh, in a different vein, I'm working majorly, if it's not RuneSmith, it's Ghostfire, which is uh, the Australian publishing company. Great guys. They have um, the sequel to my book, The Seeker's Guide, now uh, to Enchanting Emporiums, uh, which I got to work on, which was super fun. So that Kickstarter is out now. I'm not sure when this goes up, but uh, it's currently out. I think it'll go till December 15th or something. Nice. Um, oh, yeah. And then in addition to that, I'm 
really, really enjoying working on my first uh, board card game. So I'm actually Ooh. later today, I'm doing a game design meeting where we're just doing a playthrough, hammering out all the rules for uh, it's like the Stibbles Codex sequel, but it's a board game with a bunch of dice. So mm. hopefully cool. it'll be fun. I'm having a lot mm. of fun with it. Mm. Hell yeah, dude. That you know what you can you can you can feel that you, you the, the the little yeah. the little smirk on your face as you said it the little, <laughs> it's, little it's bit genuinely of so exciting yeah that's just me and one guy and we fall into a room and we keep hammering it out so later this week we're going to actually do um a play test with other team members so we'll see if what we're doing even makes sense to the layman <laughs> nice <laughs> and if it's back to the drawing board that's exciting i'm not attached <laughs> nice <laughs> nice <laughs> That was good. Love that. Love that. Dude, I just have to tell you, you know, from our end, you know, what you do is very inspiring. You know, I know, I know you said you took some time off and whatnot, and mm -hmm. I hope you know that, you know, your, your audience appreciates you, dude. We, we appreciate you coming back. We appreciate the work that you put in and, and the effort that you, that you put into all the stuff that you do. Also, I'll tell you what, dude, the, the, the way that you talk, I would love to get you at one of our tables sometime. I'd love to, uh, love to have you play at one of our tables and, uh, and, and try it out. Um, but honestly, dude, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to mention is with the Kickstarter that's out now, um, and we can discuss this after the podcast a little bit more, but please let us know, um, how we can help you promote that. We would love to chuck it in our discord and, you know, kind of push that and, and, and help you guys yeah. get a little bit of a, a little bit of sight on that as well, just because, you know, uh, you're an awesome person, you know, you, we, appreciate we appreciate that. you and like not just you but your content the the stuff you yeah. bring to this community and just everything across the board dude you're you're a kick-ass guy i i would have to say that at the end of the day my favorite thing is not the content that i make or like the books that i work on and put out or any of you know the tangible rewards that you could feasibly assume uh it's really just the ability to inspire other people to not just do the same thing i'm doing but do something more, do something a little bit better than what I'm doing. It's nice to feel sort of like uh, the giant that other people get to stand on the shoulders of, or one of them, you know, shoulders mm. of giants. But mm. wow. it's nice to see the, the newer generations of people who are like, I want to write a book too. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And reaching out. It's been a lot of fun to answer those questions and encourage people. And I would say, just, well, fuck, man, I wish we'd reached out to you a fucking year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. what, I, what I will say is like behind the scenes conversations that you and I have had behind the scenes privately, and I won't share them here. But what I will say is your moral compass uh, behind the scenes is ever consistent with what you portray in front of the camera as mm -hmm. well. And I, you know, well, thank you. I am, yeah, I'm absolute a testament to that. So um, appreciate it personally, but also um, just want to share that with you know with our communities that you're you're like you're legit it's not just uh and, and that's a rare fucking thinking. thing that's it's, that's a rare thing i feel like you know we've we've definitely encountered some a-holes in this community mm. you know that that are like hey i'm your best friend in front of the camera and then afterwards they're like all right uh, i'll catch you later bye <laughs> you know kind of thing and you're like oh oh okay um see you then uh so no yeah the consistency is super yeah, really really appreciate it dude. super appreciate it yeah. for sure um so can you tell us one what is this kickstarter book that is currently uh in existence where can people find it then also can you let people know where they can come check out this amazing new video content that you're making surrounding encounters creatures and all the other stuff I can do that. Yeah. So uh, the Seeker's Guide to Enchanting Emporiums is the mm -hmm. sequel to the Seeker's Guide to Twisted Taverns, which was the second book that I did. Uh, and it was a huge, massive undertaking. That f that first book was overwhelmingly such a huge project. And there were so many layers that we wanted to do with it. Uh, this, this one, the Seeker's Guide to Enchanting Emporiums, which, as you said, can be found on Kickstarter. Um, it just google it i think there was actually a very similarly titled book that came out around the same time um but you should be able to find it and we'll, it we'll was drop links in the description yeah i appreciate that I'll, I'll send you one um it was directed by james hayek if you're familiar he did uh matthew mercer's uh campaign setting he was mm -hmm. one of the the lead writers for that and he's been amazing he just collected a bunch of prolific writers in the scene you have Ginny d who wrote one um, so it's sort of the celebration of the D&D community in the form of the second thing that you think about when you're playing a game. It's like, okay, you all start in a tavern, you all meet in a tavern, let's go shopping before we go on an adventure. So it's <laughs> stage two. 
Um, and it, it's it's been a lot of fun to see all these this writing come through every time we get art from the Ghostfire team. I love their art directors. Working with them in the early stages was a miracle to just be able to be like, I love this sketch. Can you <laughs> do this or that? And see see all the words come to life. Um, and if you need a link, you know, you can go to my channel, RuneSmith on YouTube. That one's probably easier to look up. And the recent videos, it'll be in the description. Obviously, <laughs> I want to promote that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Guys, thank you so much for, for watching. And if you found this podcast, we really, really appreciate it. Please, 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 please go check out Logan's stuff. You know, the, his content is not only uh, great information, super easily digestible, very, very fun, uh, and something that I guarantee you after, you know, a video or two, you're going to be subscribing to, hitting that bell <laughs> notification, you know, being like, I want to know when the next one comes out. Um, but we really, really appreciate it, dude. You've been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to just talk to us yeah. today out of your super busy schedule. And this you, has been fun. You know, I'm glad we... We got around to it finally. And uh, when it does go up, you know, shoot me, shoot me a link. I'll send it on Twitter. Of course, dude. We really, really appreciate that. Um, as always, uh, we've been Homie and the Duke, father and son, TTRPG, MMA team. Um, and uh, we would love anyone who is listening to this to join our Discord server. Um, it's a small community uh, of amazing people. Um, it's diverse. It's inclusive. Uh, in there, we shoot the shit. We uh, we have a lot of fun. We will be running some free D and D workshops coming up, where you can partake in activities as well as also learn some new things uh, along the way. Which we're super excited to host those. So if you're interested in uh, being part of that community and joining what we call the familia, we would <laughs> love to see you guys there. Um, other than that, Logan, dude, thank you for taking the time, and uh, and we'll catch you guys. In the next episode? It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, homie. Cool. Thanks, Logan.